Let's face it. The world is grappling with economic hardships. And that means central banks must keep rates high until inflation comes down and also recommends government adjust fiscal policy. The sprint back to pre-pandemic growth levels still remains elusive. That was a grim message from the IMF. All in all, most countries are not expected to return to inflation target until 2025. As nations ramp up their policy efforts to mitigate impact of economic instabilities, a high-level meeting in China has garnered attention from home and Central Economic Work Conference was held in Beijing this week as Chinese leaders decided what to prioritize for next year. Conference underscores the general principle of advancing progress while ensuring. Investors are closely watching the Central Economic Work Conference for clues on the country's policy and reform agenda, anticipating how Chinese policymakers will chart the course for the world's second-largest economy in the coming year. How does the economic conference translate into China's economic strategies? How does the country plan to navigate the economic challenges that lie ahead? For this, I spoke with my colleague Do Hongyu. This episode is brought to you on Tuesday, December the 12th. So there has been a lot of coverage and anticipation on the economic meeting at the end of the year. And why is this year's meeting particularly important? Well, because 2023 is a quite difficult year, both for China's economy and for the world economy. And specifically for China, it's facing challenges from both the external environment and from the con- inside the country. And externally, there are a lot of factors of risks that caused global economic instability. For example, the geopolitical conflicts in Europe and in the Middle East, as we can see, And also there are trade tensions, especially between China and the United States. Although, encouragingly, we've seen the warming, the improvement of bilateral relations between these two countries. But there are still people doubting, uh, not sure what's going to happen between these two countries. So this also adds to the instability and uncertainties. And besides these factors, there are also some unforeseeable factors of risks like natural disasters. So China's in a quite unstable global economic environment. And also domestically, it's also struggling with its own problems like the weak exports. In the first three quarters of this year, China's exports grew only by 0.6%. And exports is contributing less and less to China's GDP. So now China's GDP growth is heavily reliant on consumption. Take tourism as an example. In the first three quarters of 2023, the number of tourists in China grew compared with the previous years during the pandemic. But it was only about 80% of the level in 2019, before the pandemic. And the tourism revenue was 65% of the pre-pandemic level, although it also grew compared with previous three years. This also shows that tourists are less willing to spend money on their journeys. And there are also other problems like the aging society and also youth unemployment. So facing so many problems, both from outside of China and domestically, um, we need 
an occasion to analyze the current complicated situation. And now it's one year past China lifted its COVID restrictions. I believe that at the very beginning, everybody was curious about what's going to happen in China, what's going to happen for China's economy, and also for the world economy. And now one year has passed. We've seen how things have turned out. So it is also a crucial time for us to analyze what's going on and look back in the past and also map out for the future. And that's why this year's meeting is particularly important. And the meeting has already concluded today. And mm -hmm. from the readout from this meeting, how does China plan to address the challenges this year and some of the problems that you also mentioned earlier? Well, from this year's meeting, we can see that the basic tone is to maintain the stability while seeking for more possibilities for growth and investment. And the meeting has listed several key problems uh, in many areas in China. For example, it is stressing expanding domestic demand, which is quite important because, as I said, now China's GDP growth is heavily reliant on domestic demand, although it is reviving right now, but it's not the level that we expected, like the level before pandemic. So this is absolutely one of the key issues China is facing right now. We've seen lots of measures being taken in the past year, and spurring domestic demand seem not to be enough because the supply side has to catch up with the changes from the supply side. And that's why this year's meeting is also stressing the supply side structural reform. Like, for example, this year, the camping industry has been booming hmm. during the past 11 months. If the consumers are buying like tents or chairs, those basic products for camping, it's okay for the country to produce more tents or chairs to make sure that Chinese consumers can get enough products for their camping needs. But when their needs for camping is upgraded, then you need to change according to the consumer's demands. For example, if the campers need um, recreational vehicles, you need to keep up with that. So there are still structural problems in terms of the supply side. So we need to make sure that the supply side can reform in time to keep up with the changes to make sure that the potential of consumers can be fully tapped out. Other key issues mentioned by the meeting also includes the urbanization and rural vitalization. You know, China is pushing forward its own modernization, which stresses its common prosperity. And it is mm. important to make sure that the middle income group is still growing. And the key is to let more rural villagers get more income and move to cities to make the middle income group continue to grow. And this burgeoning middle-income group will also contribute to domestic consumption. So this will bring us longer benefits. And other areas also include innovation in technology and digital economy, and also reforms in key areas. And of course, expanding its high-level opening up and, and ensuring the continuous building of ecological civilization. So as we can see, this year's meeting is still stressing on various issues to make sure that the short-term benefits can be uh, maintained and achieved. And we can also step a tone, a stable tone for our long-term growth.
So this is obviously not the first time we are hearing about this economic meeting at the year end, and if you look back to the history of China, this meeting wasn't there when the country was founded,、mm-hmm. and this meeting was created along the way of China's development. So why did China establish such a system at the first place? I mean, what was the historic background for the creation of this system? The meeting was first held in 1994. It was about half one and a half decades after China started reform and opening up, and two years before that, in 1992, China affirmed that it was going to step on the path of socialist market economy. That was quite a new concept, and the decade following 1992 was a con- was a crucial stage for China to. Make this socialist market economy take concrete shape, and back then China was transforming from the planned economy to the market economy as a socialist country. That was a path never taken by anyone before.、Mm. So China was like crossing the river by feeling the stones, and the success of such transformation required aggressive and resolute reforms on various fields. So it was important for China to strengthen. The macroeconomic regulation ability. China rolled out a massive economic reform program, which covered quite a lot of areas. And I'll give you one example, like the tax reform.、Hmm. Before 1992, the local governments in China only paid a fixed amount of fiscal tax to the central government, and the local governments could determine their own budget expenditures without interference from the central government. This proved to be successful for a certain period of time, but that resulted in the central government being short of money for making macroeconomic regulations. The country started a comprehensive tax reform starting in 1994 to increase the fiscal income of the central government, so that it can have more money to provide social services. Such as promoting compulsory education and the post-natural disaster reconstruction. That was just one example of this massive reform plan. So the year 1994 is considered by many experts as the year of reforms. So it is in this context of transformation from market ec- from planned economy to the market economy that the very first central economic work meeting. Was held, and then it has been held every single year at the end of each year. So the basic purpose is to look back at the past year and analyze the current situation,、mm. and also mapping out for the future. So it's been almost thirty years since the start, the creation of this economic meeting system. How effective has this yearly meeting been in the past? The effects of this meeting seem to be more prominent. During difficult times,、mm. and during the past three decades, one is in 1997, and the other is in 2008, when China was faced with the regional or global financial crisis. First, in 1997, China was affected by an Asian financial crisis swept through that swept through Southeast Asia. Even before that year, China's state-owned enterprises. Were having a very difficult times because they were suffering from huge losses, and the financial crisis in 1997 made their situation even worse. By the end of 1997, about 
39%, let's say close to 40% of China's large and medium-sized state-owned and state-holding enterprises were at loss. So that year's economic work meeting set the target of carrying out reform on state-owned enterprises. That would definitely cause layoffs. So it also mentioned how to deal with laid-off workers, uh, such as offering them new job opportunities, encouraging them to start their own businesses, and also offering them basic needs for their life. And also, the next year, 1998, was the first year of a new government term, and the new leaders started three years of reform on those state-owned enterprises. And that reform started with the textile industry, because Back then, the textile industry in China was bearing the heaviest loss compared with other state-owned enterprises. It was, at that time, as important as the steel and iron industry now in China. The textile industry back then had 30% abundant stuff. That means 10 people were doing what could be done by 7 people. And those enterprises were sandaled with excessive capacity and old facilities. So those enterprises were actually cumbersome organizations with low productive efficiency. So the government started to offer them subsidies for them to replace their old facilities. And the government also merged and bankrupted some of the enterprises in the textile industry. And those enterprises also set up re-employment service centers to make sure that the medical insurance and pensions of those laid-off workers are still paid. And that reform proved to be quite efficient. In the end of 1998, the loss in the textile industry in China was only 58% of that of the previous year. And the labor productivity grew by 85%. And these all happened in just one year after that year's meeting was held. If you look at all those state-owned enterprises, by the end of the year 2000, the number of state-owned enterprises still at loss was reduced from 39% to 20%. These all started from the 1997 meeting when the decisions and plans were made to help the businesses and help the country get through the Asian financial crisis. That was the financial crisis in 1997. And then in 2008, the country had to deal with probably an even larger financial crisis. Mm -hmm. What about that time? In the year 2008, China was also severely hit by the global financial crisis. Because in that year, China had already been reforming and opening up for about three decades. And it was already a crucial player in the globalization. And it was highly reliant on foreign demands. The financial crisis has directly hit China's export. And between 2004 and the first half of 2008, China was trying to prevent overheated growth and inflation. And due to such financial crisis, China swiftly switched its direction to maintaining growth and to boost domestic demand. So the economic targets set by the 2008 Economic Work Meeting was to carry out stimulus plans to boost the domestic consumption. And they rolled out a 4 trillion RMB stimulus plan, which was worth about 
586 billion U.S. dollars. The money was spent in various fields, and here's an example. Starting from the year 2008 and 2009, China started to encourage people to buy home appliances. For example, the rural villagers can get 13% of discount if they buy home appliances like washing machines and colored televisions, and they can also get tax rebates. Um, if they want to buy domestic appliances, and they can also get tax breaks on fuel-efficient cars, and also nationwide, people can get ten percent discount of price if they trade in old cars and household appliances for new ones, and that costs the central government about seven billion yuan, or about one billion U.S. dollars, for the program. From these examples, we can see that the meeting is giving us. Directions for future development, but the concrete changes take place in the following year. There has been many rough times for the economic meeting to tackle with, and speaking at this moment, the economic outlook for the next year also doesn't look very optimistic. And for the meeting that just concluded today at the end of 2023, what kind of message is it trying to send to? Investors and people of the world. I believe this year's meeting is focusing on both stability and investment. First, about stability. This year's meeting is saying that we need to pursue progress while ensuring stability, and the progress. And this year, it's bringing up a concept that is rarely used in China's economic documents or meetings. That is to make before break.、Um, there is a Chinese idiom, which is "there's no breaking without making," which means that you need to first abolish the old systems, the old regulations and policies, in order to establish new ones. But right now, China is saying that we need to make before breaking, which, personally speaking, I believe this is a sense of、uh, seeking more stability. While seeking for improvement and reforms, because China is trying to reduce the risks of economic breakdown and continuous economic slowdown by trying to make more cautious decisions, that's why we're saying making before breaking. And I believe that such stability is the source of confidence for the next year, because firstly, stability can give people confidence. To make investment and to buy new things instead of only keeping their money, it also gives confidence to investors and businesses and other countries to make investments in China. And also about the the enhancement or improvement,、uh, this meeting said that we're going to carry out counter cyclical regulation and cross cyclical regulation. The first counter cyclical regulation. Is to zoom in. It's to focus on the short-term economic ups and downs in our national development. For example, the central banks and governments would add stimulus to spur a slowing economy by, like, changing interest rates or taxes or boosting infrastructure investment. These are all short-term regulations that help to smooth out the ups and downs in a short economical period. And the cross-cyclical regulation is to zoom out. It requires us to look at the economic development from a longer t- 
time horizon. Sometimes we need to take short-term pains for long-term gains. So that's why China is trying to push forward supply-side structural reform, and to pushing forward policies to reduce carbon emissions, to achieve green development, and to boost births and increase urbanization. All these policies are to make sure that we can achieve long-term benefits. So stability and enhancement. Are the messages conveyed by this year's meeting, and I believe this is also a valuable message to the world because stability is also what the world needs. As we've discussed, this meeting was first held at an era when China was crossing the river by feeding for the stones, and from the previous meetings, we can see the stones and has been stepped on. But now I believe that we're not just crossing the river; now we're like on. An ocean of globalization, and China is definitely one of the largest ships on this ocean. It's the second largest economy in the world. It has the second largest consumer market, and the stability of China would definitely add more certainties to the world. Uncertainties, the fluctuations, and the headwinds, and the advancement of China and its growth will definitely. Be like a beacon light for many other economies that are also being influenced by the the turbulences on this ocean. So I believe that what this meeting is conveying is is not only the messages for people in China, but also for the rest of the world. Make before break. So there's a lot to look forward to in China's policies in the coming year. Exactly. Thank you, Hongyu. Thank you. As the first year after China emerged from the COVID-19 pandemic, the year 2023 has witnessed the resilience and steady recovery of the world's second-largest economy. To sustain this momentum into the next year, the Central Economic Work Conference has pinpointed several key challenges, including insufficient demand, overcapacity in certain industries, weak social expectations, and a complex international environment. In the coming months, the decisions from the economic meeting will evolve into concrete policies across various government bodies. And that brings us to the end of this episode of Deep Dive. If you enjoyed what you just heard, don't forget to follow us on your podcast platform. Just search for Deep Dive. You can also leave comments to let us know what you want to learn about China and beyond. This episode is brought to you by me, Li Yunqi, and my colleagues Zhang Zhang and Qi Zhi. Special thanks to CGTN radio reporter Dou Hongyu. I'll see you in the next one.